special prayer request. Amen. We want to pray for um, Mr. Kevin Heineke. Uh, he's going in tomorrow morning for a heart procedure and uh, tomorrow morning. And it's very serious. It's uh, Sister Camrina and Sister Didi's uh, brother-in-law. Amen. He's going to be going in. So we want to pray for him that God would uh, keep his hand upon him tomorrow morning. Is there any other special prayer requests? Brother Noah. Your grandma Eleanor, right? For here. Sister Judith. Sister Felicia, she's been very sick. Uh, let's also pray for Brother Cedric. I know he they're usually here when they uh, when when they can, but uh, he's undergoes um, <coughs> a medical procedure on 
Wednesday nights or Wednesdays, and a lot of times that filter of the blood really uh, does a number on them. And uh, we want to pray for that God would strengthen them. So if you could, let's join together and let's pray tonight that God would meet these needs. God, we thank you, Lord, that you're a healer tonight. We thank you, Lord, that as we just sang, you do love us. You do care for us tonight. We pray, God, for Kevin. God, that you would touch his body tomorrow morning. Keep your hand upon him, God. God, I pray, Lord, that greater than just keeping your hand upon his, uh, upon the surgeon's hands, Lord, and upon his body tomorrow morning in surgery. I pray, God, you would save him, God. I pray, God, you would help him to come, Lord, to the realization that he needs God. God, I pray, Lord, you would heal his body, you would save his soul, touch his mind, God. God, I pray you would save Kevin tonight, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, you would touch Eleanor tonight. You would heal her mind and her body, Lord. God, touch Brother Noah's grandma, Lord. You would heal her, Lord. Keep your hand upon her, Lord. God, we pray for Sister Felicia tonight, that you would strengthen her, Lord. That you would heal, Lord, the infirmity in her body tonight, Lord. We pray for Brother Cedric Strickland tonight, God, for strength, for healing in his body, Lord. Touch him tonight, God. God, I pray you would heal him of every sickness, Lord. Lord, we'll not fail to give you glory and honor tonight. We give you all the praise. We give you all the worship tonight, Lord. You are worthy, Lord, of all of our praise and all of our worship. Blessed be the name of Jesus. We bless your name, Jesus. We bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for what you're doing right now, Lord. Because of the prayers of the church. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles, amen. We're going to read as you're standing the book of Deuteronomy. Amen. Deuteronomy, you want to guess the chapter and verse? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4. We're all oneness. We all know where we're going tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Amen. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. And with all thy soul and with all thy might. Amen. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And I want to stop and say it's not just Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 4 having an understanding of the oneness of God. But it's also Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 that we are to love him with all of our heart. With all of our soul. And with all of our might, with all of our strength, with everything we've got, we're to love him. And this is not a suggestion. Because verse 6 says, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. The commandment continues. Now we're talking to parents. That we, the parents, are to teach their children diligently. And the things we're going to, we should be talking about in the home, amen, we should talk of them when we sit in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and on thy gates. And I've seen many people, and this is a good practice. Amen. They put a scripture in their house. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's not a bad idea. Amen. In fact, it's in keeping with the word of God. Amen. To have some scriptures posted around the house. Amen. That keeps your mind upon the Lord. 
so I want to talk tonight for a few moments on the oneness of God. Amen. Everyone say the oneness of God. Amen. Amen. You can be seated for a few moments. Amen. We're thankful for the presence of the Lord. Amen. There's nothing like His presence. And I hope, I hope everybody, or nearly everybody, brought their Bibles tonight. Amen. To the house of God. If you did it, amen, you need to bring your Bible to church. Amen. We need to bring our Bibles to the house of God. Sister Gina is a blessing with the multimedia, but she's not to be a replacement for us bringing our Bibles to church. Amen. If nothing else, a lot of times it just gets you looking for your Bible. Where's my Bible? Uh, We don't want to misplace our Bible. Amen. Uh, But Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 has been known as the Shema. Amen. It's that motto. It's that... uh, Principle that the people of God have have lived by through millennia of time, and this subject of the oneness of God has caused its share of disagreements and many of us probably in times past heated arguments. Uh, and I would tell you, as a youngster, uh, I stayed away from when people began talking about the oneness of God, uh, not because I did not believe it, but because I did not know my Bible. Uh, And I did not feel qualified to engage in the discussion. So I would kind of sink back into the shadows and just kind of observe and listen in. Uh, But I I do believe it becomes imperative and it is very important that we have a understanding of the oneness of God. Uh, It matters how we believe. Amen. It's not enough to just come to church and worship and say, well, I I just like what I feel. I'm going to just worship God however I see fit. But it matters how we believe. Uh, because God does not just accept any worship, as we see from Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis, how that God rejected Cain's uh, sacrifice and God accepted Abel's sacrifice. Um, and so as a youngster, I would stay away from those uh, conversations. But the question, however, of Jesus being God, the question of Jesus being God is a subject which if the Bible was accepted, in its fullness as the true and final word of God, that controversy of the oneness of God versus the Trinity, amen, would be settled once and for all. Because according to history, the belief of more than one true God is based upon traditions that were handed down from generation to generation ever since the Council of Nicaea, which is what is now modern-day Turkey, in the year A.D. 325. Uh, you could go back probably to other early church fathers and hear about Tertullian. We're not going to go into all the different names. Uh, but the doctrine of the Trinity was something that was developed long after the Bible was written, long after Jesus had ascended. And to show the importance of the subject we're talking about tonight, you say, well, this it's more, you, you may view the subject of the oneness of God as a extra or um, something that's just nice to know but it's not even just something that's nice to know because in John chapter 8 and 24 it says for if ye believe not that I am he this is Jesus talking if ye believe not that I am he I am God you shall die in your sins amen if you don't believe that Jesus is God According to John chapter 8 and 24, you will die in your sins. Now, to set the foundation for a few moments tonight, there are a few diverging views uh, that uh, has uh, that is embraced by Trinitarians about the Trinity. The Trinity, uh, a lot of times we use that word, and we may or may not know what it means. Uh, but uh, one of the views of Trinitarians is that there are three separate gods, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost being those three gods. The more accurate representation of Trinitarianism, if you studied out, is that there is one God, but in three distinct persons within the Godhead, and that is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And according to the doctrine of the Trinity, these three gods or three persons are co-equal 
In other words, they have equal power. Uh, they are co-eternal. In other words, they have all three existed from the beginning of time, and they will exist through the end of time. And so those are uh, some of the things that are embraced with the doctrine of the Trinity. And if you just do a quick, you go home and you do Google Images. How many have used Google Images before? You go to Google, click on Images, you want to get all the pictures. Type in Trinity. And nearly, probably all of the paintings that have been painted to depict the Trinity do not show uh, three persons, but they actually show three gods. The Father in heaven, this is what I, I just looked at it earlier today. The Father in heaven is looking down on the Son that's on the cross. And the Holy Ghost is as this bird or this dove that's kind of hanging out in the atmosphere. And that's how oftentimes uh, the Trinity is depicted by artists uh, in their paintings. And so just to lay a foundation, let you know exactly, and we're not going to go into all the different things, but for the sake of time, we're going to try and move through this quickly tonight. And if needs be, we may just continue in another service. But uh, I want to say tonight that the old trick, the old trick of an enemy that enemies use to conquer a land is divide and conquer. If we can begin to compartmentalize different parts within a nation and begin to say, well, this is one distinct group and this is another distinct group. And they're going to instead of fighting together as a whole, they're going to fight in their little uh, within little pockets. And we can we can conquer them as we break it up into little parts. And the foundation of the apostles is minimized and downplayed as the teachings are attempted by the enemy of the truth to to compartmentalize biblical truths and apostolic doctrine. In other words, as uh, the doctrine of the Trinity has been developed and has through the ages of time been taught over and over again, it begins to compartmentalize. And you hear things like, well, I want to believe what Jesus said and not what the apostles said. I want to believe what what this person said. The early church fathers are not what the father in heaven says. Or I want to believe what uh, Tertullian says or the Council of Nicaea versus. And all these different things begin to take place. Um, But let's let's just dive in tonight and just we're going to go through a few verses in scripture. And these are verses that I I was talking in a Bible study a few weeks ago. And I was telling uh, the students that uh, there are certain verses in the Bible, Brother Josh, I would stay clear from because I had not, I didn't know what they meant. I didn't know, I didn't know uh, how to explain them or what it meant uh, because it seemed on the surface like it was contradictory to the oneness of God. For instance, if you have Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 is most often used. Uh, to to show the uh, uh, how the Trinity works or the three gods how they are coming together. Matthew twenty eight nineteen says, "Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost." Yes. And so there we see, wow, there's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I thought we believed in one God, but the Bible says there's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. How do you? argue with that what do you say about that Uh, another verse that has long uh, troubled me uh, before I had studied it and kind of got into it more was the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 and God said this is the beginning of time and God said let us make man in our image after our likeness so you're thinking who's the us and our Im, our likeness, our image, what that is clearly showing there's more than one. But if you continue reading the same chapter, the very next verse, you have a sister Jesus, verse 27. So God created man in his, not their own image. In the image of God created he, not them. Created he, him. Male and female created he, them. 
So in, in essence, it was really, truly one God. If you could also go to the book of Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 12. We're going to test Sister Gina's quick hands tonight. I, I, everybody said it with me, I, I, I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens and all their hosts have I commanded. Amen. It was one God. You say, well, what does it really mean then in Genesis chapter 1 and 26? And the way I would explain it is uh, going to another verse. And this is oftentimes how we begin to form a doctrine. We go from one verse to another and we see how it all works together. I would go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the what? The counsel of his own will. The only way you get counsel is you go to somebody else. You don't counsel. And so we're thinking, okay, well, there's more than one God, but the Bible says the counsel of his own will. In other words, it's that, uh, it's that as we uh, have heard oftentimes uh, dignitaries and, and uh, royalty speak, it's that royal we. We are going to go and we're going to accomplish X, Y, and Z. It's in, in other words, so Genesis chapter 1 and 26, it's talking about the counsel of his own will. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God created he him. Isaiah 45, I have made the earth. And I'm just going to stop and tell you something that will help you as a young person or whatever age you are in life. A lot, a lot of times when somebody gives you a verse or a chapter and they say, hey, what about this? A lot of times, all you need to do is just step back and, and read the chapter before, the chapter after it, read the whole thing, and see what makes sense. Because a lot of times, it's exactly, Brother Josh, it's context. Just like in real estate, if you're going to buy a home, they say location, location, location. In the Word of God, it's context, context, context. What does the entire scripture, and how does it all begin to work together? The Bible, There is no contradictions in the Word of God. Amen. There is no... Uh, well, I'm going to believe Deuteronomy. You can believe Exodus, but I'm just going to stick to Deuteronomy. It all works together. It all comes together to show, amen, the, uh, the plan that God has for the church. Yeah. The book of Mark, chapter 12 and verse 36. I'm going to give you all the, hopefully the tough scriptures that will help you tonight. Mark, chapter 12 and 36. For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. So the Holy Ghost, David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand. And a lot of times at face value you can say, Well, that's talking about two gods. The Lord and then the little Lord, because he's sitting on his right hand. So if you begin to think about it, the, the doctrine of the Trinity is co-equal. Well, if, if, I, if I'm standing here and I have a little person on my right hand, that's not co-equal. But it's not talking about a physical right hand. It's not talking about something that is physical. Uh, because just a couple of chapters later, as we mentioned a moment ago, read the context. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 62, it says, And Jesus said, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. The right hand is referring to the hand of power. The right hand is the hand of power. And this passage, Mark 12 and 36, describes the dual nature of Christ. With the Spirit of God, listen carefully, it's the Spirit of God speaking prophetically.
to the human manifestation of Christ that was to come. The right hand of power. It was the Spirit of God speaking prophetically that there was going to come one who would uh, who would uh, make thy enemies thy footstool. Making thy enemies a footstool means utterly defeating the enemy and making an open show of their defeat. Making thy enemies a footstool means to utterly defeat the enemy and make an open show of their defeat. Who did that? Jesus. Jesus died. And resurrected the third day. And he conquered death, hell, and the grave. He made an open show of the devil's defeat. He conquered. He effectively uh, made his enemies his footstool. He overcame death, hell, and the grave. And I want to tell you also in that verse, Mark 12 and 36. Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. If it was a co-eternal God, the Father, and co-eternal Jesus... There would not be an until because it would have already existed. But there was uh, there was a beginning to the Son of God. This day have I begotten thee. So you begin to see the argument uh, and the, uh, the the approach that the doctrine of the Trinity takes begin to fall apart piece by piece. They're not co-eternal and they're definitely not co-equal. Uh, and there's not three gods and there's not three persons, but for a few moments, stick with me. Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 3, rather, in verse 16. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. And we're going to talk about the baptism of Jesus. Because a lot of times this one would really mess me up. This one, if this one doesn't show the Trinity, I don't know what does. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. To get a more full picture of that. Story, you know that the four Gospels, right? As you start the New Testament, there's four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all give their account of what happened. So if you're looking at Matthew, if you want to get a more full picture, you're going to jump to Mark, Luke, and John. Say, okay, do they write about the same story and exactly what happened? So with that, we'll go to the book of John. St. John chapter 1 and verse 29. And this gives us a little bit more of a clear image of what is taking place in this scenario. John chapter 1. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him. And saith behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The next verse. This is he of whom I said after me cometh a man which is preferred before me for he was before me. Next verse. And I knew him not. But that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, am I coming, am I come baptizing with water? So the purpose is that uh, in, in this, in this uh, action, this scenario of Jesus being baptized, the purpose of it, uh, a lot of this stuff is symbolic, but there's a purpose, and the purpose is that he should be made manifest to Israel. It was that introduction uh, of the Messiah to the people of God. The next verse. And John bear record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. Next verse. And I knew him not. So John did not know at this point that Jesus was the Messiah. He did not have that understanding yet. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So the Spirit said to John, when you see the Spirit descending, when you see when you see this happen, this is going to be a sign to John. When you see this, John, you're going to know this is the Messiah. Next verse. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So the symbolism in this particular passage of Scripture uh, lets us to know a few things, and I, we want to talk about them for a moment. Remember in this story that God is a Spirit. God, which is a Spirit, is also omnipresent. 
omnipresent. What does that mean? He can be everywhere. He is everywhere at the self same time. In case we think we got a, a corner on Jesus, we ain't, he's not just here in Lathrop. He's actually, he's actually also in San Jose tonight. He's in Oakland. He's in the neighboring cities, wherever there's an apostolic church gathering, someone reaching out to him. He's omnipresent. And he feels all time and space. Therefore, Jesus, God, could not and would not sacrifice his omnipresence while here on earth. Because that is one of his most basic attributes. And we know from the Bible that God does not change. He changeth not, neither is weary. The Bible says there is no searching of his understanding. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God is omnipresent... If he was omnipresent before, he's going to be omnipresent right now. And he's going to be omnipresent tomorrow when you wake up in the morning. He's, he doesn't change. Amen. The dove that, that they saw was the dove that they saw was the manifestation of, the, of his spirit, just like in the burning bush experienced by Moses. Moses went to that burning bush and there began talking to him a voice. That bush was not God. That burning bush in the wilderness was not God, but that was a manifestation of God's presence, just like the dove was a manifestation of his presence. That wasn't some separate divinity. That wasn't some separate God or some person in the Godhead. And I mentioned a moment ago to keep in mind that this whole experience was symbolic. It had a purpose. Jesus knew no sin. Jesus did not need to be baptized. He did not need. The only reason that we're baptized is for the remission of sins. It's for the removal, the, the, the washing away of sin. Jesus went into that baptistry, that, that river Jordan. Uh, he went into that, that, that body of water. He did not need to, his sins washed away. But it was, it, was, uh, it was symbolic in experience. He knew no sin. He did not need remission of sins. But Jesus' baptism was a means of manifesting himself or making himself known to the Jewish people. And it was a starting point in his ministry. It was a public declaration of who he was. And what he came to do. Behold the Lamb of God. Which taketh away the sin of the world. It was, this was to be Jesus' introduction to the world. And there was to be some signs that the people would see and hear. And there was to be some signs that John the Baptist would see and hear. So that they would know and they would recognize that this man that's getting to the water right now. This man that's being baptized. He is God. He is the Messiah. I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a dove. I'm hearing a voice from heaven. And there's no mistaking. And this was the grand introduction that Jesus had as he as he concluded the Mount of Temptation. He he came to earth and he began to uh, he he began to uh, start his ministry. The the three and a half years of ministry. And this was his introduction to the world. John began to say, "Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world." The people heard the voice, and John saw the dove, and they began to all recognize in unison, "This is God." Yes. Heretofore, Amen. The Bible says we read a moment ago that John did not know. But after these signs, John knew, and this was a sign for John. Amen. This was a sign for John to know this is the Messiah. This is the one. And now, John, you've got to decrease, and now he's got to increase. And every time, we'll stop for a moment, every time God comes into our lives and God begins to make his grand introduction and he makes his grand entrance into our lives, there has to be something that takes place. And that something is that we begin to decrease. Amen. Our selfish ambitions and motives and desires, they've got to begin to dissipate and we begin to magnify him and he begins to, he begins to become greater. And there's more of him and less of us. And that should be a proper reaction. That's a proper reaction. If your life doesn't change when he comes in, you're doing something wrong. If, there, if there's no change in your life when you come to God and, and you're just the same way you've always been, I wonder if he's really come into your life. Because when he comes into a person's life, amen, there's this decreasing of self and the increasing of more of God. Less of me and more of you, God. Less of me and more of you, God. And the preacher can't preach it hard enough on holiness because we say, I want more of him. Whatever I can do to have more of him and less of this world. And there's got to be a feeling that we get in our souls. We get sick and tired of the world. I'm sick and tired of this world. The dove was a visible sign of the spirit for John to let him know that Jesus was Jehovah and the Messiah. And the voice out of heaven was for the benefit of the people. It was God's way of formally introducing Jesus to the Jews as the Son of God. 
Because also John chapter 12 and verse 30. Sister Jean, if you have that, John chapter 12 and verse 30. Jesus answered and said. And this is a different scenario. But he's given us something here that I think it bears repeating. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Because God wants to reveal truth to his people. So you say, well, there's a voice. That means that that's a separate God. There's the Father speaking and there's a dove floating around the Holy Ghost and then there's Jesus. And we think because there's a, there's a voice, that's a separate deity. Think about this for a moment. I'm going to ask you a question. Is it possible that God could be speaking to us tonight directly? Yes or no? Is it possible that while he's speaking to us tonight, He's also speaking to First Church of San Jose tonight. Is it possible that while he's speaking to our church and their church, that there's a, there's a voice that's also speaking to the church in San Diego tonight? Is it possible that he's also, uh, also speaking at the same time to a church in Carson City? So that's four different cities, four different churches, four different voices. Does that mean that there's four different gods? It's the same voice. It's the same voice. It's the same God. And even modern scholars, and this is something I was, as I was researching this tonight, even modern scholars uh, do not see the baptism of Jesus as an indication of the Trinity, but as a reference to the authoritative anointing of Jesus as Messiah. Things to understand, God is a spirit. These are things that I've heard from my father through the years as, as I've sat where you're sitting. I've listened and absorbed and just sat on the edge of my seat trying to get it in my spirit and understand it. John chapter 4 and 24 says God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But the main thing there is God is a spirit. Amen. There's the dual nature of God. There's a dual nature that we're going to talk about. In other words, Jesus was not half man and half God. He was all God and all man at the same time. He was all God and all man at the same time. That is why in the word of God, you can read about how in Luke 2 and 52, he increased in wisdom and in stature. But yet in John chapter 16 and verse 30, it says that he knoweth all things. Knowest thou all things. Amen. How is he able to continue to learn and to, uh, to increase in wisdom into increase in stature and on one hand, on one hand on, and on the other hand he knows all things amen it's showing that that dual nature of God he struggled with the same things you and I struggle with yet without sin amen and there's other things uh, that we see in the word of God as a man he wept over Lazarus the shortest verse in the Bible in the English language is what John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept what do you weep over Lazarus he wept over Lazarus. But yet in verse 35, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. As a man, he wept. He probably felt that hopelessness, that despair. But as God, he, he was able to speak to Lazarus and say, come forth. Get out of that grave, Lazarus. Amen. There's, there's still yet more that I have in store for your life. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, For in him, that's talking about Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him. Is this the next verse? And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. He's not the second person of the Trinity. We're talking about Jesus. It said, in him dwells all the fullness of the God and bodily. But yet, Jesus is the head. So if Jesus can't be the second person of the Trinity and still be the head, something's, there's a disconnect in that, in that doctrine. Unless Jesus is God and he's the head, he's the Father, he's the Son, he's the Holy Ghost, it's all wrapped up in him. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, not in them. 
You are complete when you get in Jesus Christ. Not when you not when you come to a watery grave and you're, you're baptized in the titles Father, Son, Holy Ghost. But it's when you have the name of Jesus called over your life. And you're complete in Him. Amen. Which is the head of all principality and power. Amen. Anything more than one head is a monster. Is a freak show. Anything more than one with more, with more than one head is a monster. The prophets talked about him. The gospel writer Matthew, I think it's one in twenty-three, says, "Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted." God with us. So Jesus was that one that the Virgin brought forth. The Virgin Mary brought forth a child that was a son. But this name of the son was God with us. It wasn't another God. It was God. Jesus was God. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God with us. He is God. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But thou. Matthew. Micah 5 and 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. Yet out of thee. Shall come forth unto me that. Is to be ruler in Israel. Whose goings forth. This this scripture is talking about Jesus right here. Because he came out of Bethlehem Ephrathah. Little among the thousands of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is talking clearly about Jesus. But the Bible says about Jesus, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The only way that that is true is if Jesus was God. That's the only way that this makes any sense, is if we understand that Jesus is God. There is just one God. I'm going to say it tonight. Because Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6 says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. So the one whose goings forth were from of old and everlasting, amen, says that there's there's only one God. I'm the first, I'm the last. There's nothing in between me and me and the end of time. Besides me there is no God. Amen. I am the first and I am the last. And besides me, there is no God. That is in Isaiah 44 and 6. But that same, uh, that same verse is also quoted in the book of Revelation. I'm the first and I'm the last. Amen. So that God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. It's the first and the last. There's nothing in between. There's no other God. Amen. Besides me, there is no God. John chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, not by them. All things were made by Him and without Him, not them. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And that word, uh, the word in the Greek, is translated logos or the thought or the divine plan of God. Amen. From the beginning of time in the mind of God. Amen. God saw that there was going to need to be, amen, a, a divinity wrapping himself in humanity in, in the form of God, in the form of Jesus Christ to take away the sin of the world. That's why the Bible says he's the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Amen. He's the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God that planned that divine thought that God had from the very beginning of time and that word was God the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 5 this is the one that we have underneath this beautiful projector it says one Lord one faith one baptism one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. 
This is written to the, birth, the, the church in Ephesus. A Holy Ghost filled church, Brother Darren. They had the Holy Ghost. And that's why you could say that it, that one God was above all and through all and in you all. Because he had the Spirit of God. That one God, and there, there's that, the Spirit of God. It, there's just one God. Jesus is God. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, and we're moving through this quickly. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. This is not a dead-end scripture here. This is not we, a scripture that we pull out when we don't know what to talk about. When, we just, when we're at a loss for words, we say, well, great is the mystery of godliness. And we give up. And we leave that for somebody else to try to interpret. It's not an excuse scripture. I've heard it used like that. And they don't know what else to say. Well, great is the mystery of godliness. Don't understand it. Because the Bible explains it. If you keep reading, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. In the NIV, as it says here in the King James Version, God was manifest in the flesh. The NIV says God appeared in the flesh. It was literally God in the flesh. Jesus was God in the flesh. Amen. He was the image, as we read in in a few moments in Colossians, he was the image of the invisible God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father. I'm reading Colossians 1 and 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom, and we're talking about Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, we're talking about Jesus, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the church, he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in Him should dwell, should all fullness dwell. In Jesus Christ, it's all in Him. Amen. The fullness of the Godhead is fully displayed in the person, in the image of the invisible God, in Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus Christ is not the second person of a triune Godhead. But in fact, Jesus is God revealed in the flesh. He's God manifested in the flesh. And I'm thankful tonight, and you should be thankful tonight, that He did not send little Jesus Jr. to die in His in his place, in our place. Amen. He didn't love you so much that it'd be the same thing I say. Well, I love you so much, Dad. I'm going to cause my little girl to die for you. He would say, man, you're a sucker. You, you really love me, so you're going to kill your kids? Come on, think about it. I love you so much, I'm going to sacrifice my child. What a great God. No. That's not what happened. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He did not love you so much that he would send his son to die for you while God the Father, amen, stayed back, kicking back in heaven with his feet up, amen, on that on that big white throne and just kind of sat back with popcorn and began to watch the whole plan of redemption unfold. But no, it was Jesus himself. It was God himself. Amen. God came himself without controversy. Great is the mystery of God as God was manifested in the flesh. He himself was manifested in the flesh. When you looked at Jesus, amen, as he walked this earth for 33 and a half years, you were looking at God himself. Amen. That was not some uh, that was not some second person of the Trinity. That was God himself. Amen. That was God himself. John chapter 17 and 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. People would say, well, right there it says God 
and Jesus Christ. So that shows there's two gods. It's talking about God the Father and Jesus the Son because the Bible says and. So that clearly shows that there's two gods. But if you begin to study it, you begin to get down to that what it's saying. That word and in this text is the Greek word chi, which is translated even. This scripture is not showing us God the Father and God the Son. It's saying the only true God is even Jesus Christ. And this, we will read it again. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, even Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's why John chapter 8 and 58, he could say before Abraham was, I am. Jesus could say before Abraham was, I am. I was already the one that existed before Abraham. Because he is God. That's the only way that that makes any sense is that Jesus was in fact God. Amen. That's why you can go through certain scriptures in the Bible. Revelation 1. Don't try and keep up, Sister Gina. Revelation 1 and 7 and 8. Jesus was the Almighty. But in Genesis 17 and 1, the Almighty was God. In John 8 and 58, Jesus was the I Am. But in Exodus 3 and 14, the I Am was God. Acts 3 and 14, Jesus was the Holy One. But in Isaiah 43 and 15, the Holy One was God. John 8 24, Jesus says the I am He. But in Isaiah 43 and 10, the I am He was God. Jesus was the rock, but the rock was God. In other scriptures, 2 Corinthians 11 and 2, Jesus was the one husband. But in Jeremiah 31 and 32, the one husband was God. John 10 and 16, Jesus was the one shepherd. But in Isaiah 40 and 11, the one shepherd was God. Jesus was the one Savior, but the one Savior was God. Jesus was the one Redeemer, but the one Redeemer was God. He was the Word of God, but the Word of God was God. And we can go back and forth because it all makes sense when you understand that Jesus was God. He was not, amen, some second person of a, of a triune Godhead, but He was God Himself manifest in the flesh and it means a whole lot to me that he would love me so much sister Dee, that he would come himself and not send some representative on his behalf but he would say I love you so I'm going to come myself to exactly where you're hurting exactly where you're confused exactly your situation that you're dealing with I'm going to come myself I'm coming myself his name is Jesus the name of the father in John 5 and 43, I am come in my Father's name, and he received me not. John chapter 14, verse number 8, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will satisfy us. Jesus said, have I been so long time with you, Philip, and yet you don't even know who I am. When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, talking about Jesus that was to come. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. But we're talking about Jesus, but he's called the Everlasting Father. He's the Father. He's the Son. He's the Holy Ghost. It's all wrapped up in one. The name of the Son. Matthew 1 and 21, we could talk about that. She shall bring forth the Son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name of the Holy Ghost. John chapter 14 and verse 26. Sister Gina, can you get this one? John chapter 14 and verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, Who's talking here? This is Jesus. The Holy Ghost is going to come in my name. He'll teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Without the Holy Ghost, you're going to be missing a lot of things because it's the Holy Ghost that will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. You need the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is Jesus. We need the Holy Ghost We need God's spirit indwelling inside of us. And because it's all in him and the name of God is Jesus, we should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. This is where it all comes to a a head. 
This is where it all really makes begins to say, okay, uh, the understanding of the oneness of God, it all begins to come to this point. Now you must be baptized in the name of God, which is Jesus. Not some titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but there must be the name of Jesus that's called over your life because neither is there salvation in any other name, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Amen. It's at the name of Jesus that there's remission of sins. Amen. If you were baptized and they said, Father, Son, Holy Ghost over your life in water baptism, I'm going to tell you, nothing happened. But it's when you're baptized in the name of Jesus. Amen. That all of those sins begin to be washed away. Amen. The past of your life, amen, is washed away and it stays buried in the ground because there's power in a name. There's not power in titles. It doesn't matter to you. Amen. What titles the person holds, but if they got the name of Jesus upon their lives, there's power that's in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. You say, well, man, who else believes this? I'm glad you asked. James 2 and 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God. You're doing good. You got that, Sister Gina? She's fast. Fast as hands in the west. Thou believest that there is one God? You're doing pretty good. But just so you understand, the devils also believe. And they tremble. The devils also believe in one God. And they're shaking in their boots. Because they know the power of the one God, Jesus' name, baptized, Holy Ghost-filled church. And they're shaken. Because that's where the power is. It matters how we believe. This last one, I need three young men to come up here tonight. I need Brother Terrence, Brother Paul. Brother Noah, come on up here. Big Boston right here. Just sat down. <laughs> Revelation chapter 4 and verse 2. Do you have a sister Gina? And immediately I was in the spirit. Come on, in the spirit, says Gina. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. I want to see if Brother Paul and Brother Terrence and Brother Noah can all sit in the same chair together. Just give it, just give it a shot. Give us a few laughs. I want to see the best you guys can do. Sit on that chair all together. Come on, y'all, y'all can do it. You see how much trouble they're having tonight? You see the trouble that happens? When three try to sit on one throne, one chair, you, you guys are thinking, man, these guys are crazy. I'm not going to follow them. But oftentimes that's what happens when we think, oh, there's three. I've heard people say there's three thrones in heaven. There's three gods, one on each throne. But the Bible says there's only one throne and one sat on the throne. If, if, if I looked at this, pic, at this picture and this, this verse said, well, there was one throne in heaven because it's one God, but there's three persons that are all trying to, you know, kind of get together on that little throne. You're looking at that thinking, man, this is silly. This is really silly. Thank you, guys. But the Bible says there's one throne in heaven and one who sits upon the throne. And that makes sense to me. It's in the word of God. We try and do all of the different jumping through different. Oftentimes we, we jump to these different commentaries and. And we go to the Council of Nicaea and we talk to uh, this professor of theology and, and whatnot. And, and they'll reason with us and they'll give us their take. And, and we're not even in the scriptures no more. We're just talking about theoretically and philosophizing. And, but getting back to the what, the what does the word of God say? G.K. Chesterton made the statement, one of the great mistakes of the modern world is the habit of preaching a vague duty of fighting without preaching any doctrine to fight about. The Bible says that we are to contend for the faith. We're to fight for that faith. 
that which was once delivered to us. If we could stand to our feet tonight, we're done. Amen. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord. He's God. There's one. Amen. We would sing that song many times in years past. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. He is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want us, as we're we're done tonight, I want us just to close our eyes and I want us to lift up our hands and I want us to thank God for truth tonight. Amen. I want us to truly thank God for the understanding of for truth, amen, that God has uh, brought to us, that God has delivered to us. God, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you tonight for your spirit. We thank you tonight for your power, God. We thank you tonight for the oneness of God, the revelation of who you are, the mighty God in Christ. It's all in you, Jesus. I'm thankful tonight, God, for water baptism in Jesus' name, whereby all of our sins have been washed away. I'm thankful tonight, God, for the infilling of the Holy Ghost because that's Jesus in us all. That's the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside. I thank you for truth on the inward parts. Help me to love truth, God. Help us to love it with all of our hearts. Help us to embrace every part of it, God. Let it get into our hearts, into our souls. And help us to love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our might, with everything. And help us to teach it to our children. Help us to talk about it at home. Help us to talk about it when we walk by the way. Help us to love it, God. Help us to live it, God. We thank you for everything that you've done, Lord. Hallelujah.